All right, let's go ahead and open in prayer. We're going to be in Philippians 1. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to worship you. We thank you that we can worship you in song and, and rejoice. We thank you that we can worship you in the, in the word and, and how you will bring it out. And we just thank you for, for your word and for your love for us. In your son's precious name, amen. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we're going to stop there because I want to just take a look at this. We talked last week that this letter of Philippians for Paul is a letter of very much love and appreciation for the people, that he loved the people of Philippi. And we talked about how they're the ones that sent him money while he was on mission trips. And he had a great affection toward them. And this is shown in his prayer here. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And this idea of thanking, feeling grateful. Now, this should be a mark of Christianity is that we are thankful people. Uh, One thing I've seen amongst uh, a lot of people over the years is thankfulness is something that is dwindling away in this world and God expects us to be thankful and loving. Thankfulness for Paul was something that he shows us and he said in Thessalonians he says in everything give thanks for this is the will of Christ Jesus in you. We are supposed to be thankful. We are supposed to be loving. How many times has things happened to you and you look at them as being so terrible and you don't thank God for them? Kind of, kind of an interesting place when you think about it. One of the pastors I was listening to this week, he says, many people don't go to God in prayer until things get so bad that they can't handle it. And then they wonder why bad things happen to them. Because God's saying, I want you to come to me in prayer. And if it takes really bad things to make you come to me in prayer, he will let you have really bad things so that you'll come to him in prayer. So if you don't want bad things happening to you all the time, start going to prayer more often and spending time with God as a lifestyle. As a lifestyle. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you because he's still going to ask you to be dependent upon him, but you'll find a lot less of them. Because if the only way he can get you to get get your attention is to keep hitting you over the head with the two-by-four, he's going to hit you over the head with the two-by-four. So you have a choice. You can make things really difficult for yourself and God and keep coming to him when things get really difficult or you can come to him all the time. Start your day with prayer. Start your day with fellowship. Start your day with reading the scriptures. Let it be thankful toward all of this and learn to be thankful. And The other thing that stood out to me on verse 3 was Paul said, I thank my God. Do you think of God as your God? Do you really think of him that way that he is one that you will say, This is my God. He's my father. He is the person I want to be in a relationship with. Or is he some kind of distant figure out there that, well, when I need you, God, I'll come and see you. Uh, You're not really my God. I, I come to you when I need you. This is something that is critical for us to understand. He is once a personal relationship with us. A personal relationship with us. And he has a plan for each one of us individually. And Paul's saying, this is my God. My God. Might be your God too, but he is my God. And I hope he is your God. God. Yes. (laughs) Being 
individual for us. And he's remembering them very fondly. He says, I thank my God for every remembrance of you. Philippi was a church that was meeting his needs. He didn't have to write a letter of heavy, stern correction. When you read the book of Corinthians, Corinthians is full of, of corrections in it. That, that church had problems. <laughs> you know, we, we think about the early church, and most of us kind of think of the Philippian, Philippian church, you know, the one that doesn't have a whole lot of problems. But the church has had a lot of problems even in the first century. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all the answers to the problems we face today. <laughs> so it was good that they had those problems and got the letters <laughs> correcting them. But, you know, it also takes us back to Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. What's happening in our churches today happened in the first century, in the second century, in the third century, and keep going on and on and on. And everything just keeps repeating. And when we think about that, literally there is nothing new. We've gone through different books and we saw all this political intrigue that went on. Nothing new. We still have political intrigue going on in our day and age. We still have all these science and things that come against God and everything. But he's saying, I remember you very fondly. I thank God when I think about you. Paul, when he was having a hard time, would think about the church of Philippi and say, okay, I've been successful at least in one place. (laughs) He knew he was successful in others. But have you ever been in that place where you struggle to find something good in your life? And we've told you oftentimes, when things are good in your life, write it down in a book. Write it down in the computer if you're computer literate. Do something to remember Because when you're going through bad things, bad things can overwhelm you and you need to be able to remind yourself of the good that God has done. Very important for us to get there because we can be very overwhelmed at times and say, and you've probably been there, God, you've not done anything for me. I'm so miserable. It's so terrible. And when we're in the bottom of that pit, we're forgetting what God has done. And we need to look at what he has done. What has he done in your life? What has he done in people that you know. And we've talked about this. It's wonderful to read the Bible and see what God has done for everybody in the Bible. But there's a lot of people that come around, yeah, but that was 2,000 years, 4,000 years ago. Then I encourage people, read biographies of Christian leaders. And if you read these biographies, you can't help but get excited about what God has been doing in people's lives. But you know the best example is what has he done for me as I share it to other people and they share what, they, what the God has done for them. And it just proves that there's nothing new under the sun. God is still blessing. He is still rewarding. He's still doing everything that he did in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Then he goes on to say in verse uh, 4, Always in every prayer of mine for you, and all making requests of joy. Paul was a man of prayer. He went before God and gave his petitions before God. Why? Because he knew who his sovereign was. Now that's a term we don't really use much as Americans, sovereign. But that means the ruler. But it means a ruler that has the absolute right to do whatever they feel like doing. That's who we worship. We worship the king and ruler of the universe. We need to get to the place where we recognize he is king and ruler Because he's king and ruler whether we believe it or not. He is going to make things happen that he wants to happen whether we like it or not. We can either bow our knee to the sovereign and accept where he wants to go 
or he's going to make us do what he wants us to do eventually. It's very interesting when we think about this, especially when we are Christians, he's going to make us do what he wants us to do because we're his children. We're his citizens. It's one thing for the lost person because to not recognize him. He's still in charge whether they recognize it or not, but they can, he's going to allow them to choose whether they want to go to heaven or hell. And then he'll give them what they wanted. And maybe they don't realize that that's what they're doing, but he's going to give them what they chose to receive. But we as his children who have accepted him, he's going to say, you are going to do this. Now sometimes he has to force us to do it. Give you a little secret. I was very stubborn and, and pig-headed in my earlier life. He had to make, force me a lot of times. It's been a lot easier now that I've learned a, a lot better to surrender. <laughs> it's a lot more peaceful to surrender. <laughs> a lot easier to surrender. Still not perfect in the surrender, but I do it a lot faster now than I used to do it. But it's a lot better when you surrender. And God and, and Paul here is saying, in all my prayers for you, I make him my request with joy. I am very happy to pray for you. Very happy to ask for the request for, for you. Now, I'm probably thinking of Corinth. You know How hard it was probably to pray for blessings on Corinth with, uh, with all the problems that they had. And, but here he's saying, God, almost they deserve it. They're, they're following you. They're, they're doing a good job. They're honoring you. They're honoring the people. Then he says, for your fellowship in the grace from the first day until now. Now, fellowship is a very interesting word. It's koinonia, and it means to be intimately related together. Fellowship, koinonia. Intimately related. Family is <laughs> supposed to have koinonia. Now, I know that not all families <laughs> have that, unfortunately. But it is, it is the way the family is supposed to be, where you know where you can go back to. The prodigal son was one of those people that understood that. He ran away from his father, took his inheritance, blew, blew the money. And then when he, I love the way it says it, and it he came to his senses. <laughs> you know, he went insane for a little while, and then he came to his senses and said, what am I feeding these pigs for? I'm so hungry, I want to eat their food. He goes, my father's servants are, are fed better than I'm being fed. I'll go back and just be a servant. He knew he could go back home. And he had his whole speech together about how he doesn't deserve to be called a son and the father didn't let him go through it at all. The father says, you're back. You're back. I'm glad to have you back. This is the way God looks at us as his children. When we go off and do what we want to, and what we want to do is basically not serve God, go off and live in some sin, God says, all right, I'll wait patiently. He's watching for us. And the good news is because it is all by grace, he accepts us back. You know, he doesn't come and see us, okay, when you have done 128 good deeds, you can be my child. That's not what he does. He says, you're back. Thank God you're back. Thank you that you're back. You're my child. I'm going to restore you. Because it's all by grace. Ephesians tells us it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. We can't do anything good enough to please God. And that means if we go off and we do a lot of bad things and come back to God, we still cannot do 
enough good things to please God. Jesus paid for the debt so that we can be forgiven. When God takes us as his children, and we've talked about this, he declares us perfect when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. From the courtroom of heaven, he says we're perfect. Now, we know we're not perfect. We know that we're going to spend the rest of our life being sanctified, which means being made perfect. But God declares us perfect, and because he's outside of time, he says that we are perfect, and that's how he sees us as perfect. Because he sees us in, under the blood of Christ and, and we're in the righteousness of Christ. So when God says you are perfect, he looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ. And we know that that's not who we are, but you know what? God's outside of time. He already sees it completed. He already sees it as complete. When we die, we will be made who he says who we are. In the meantime, we have to learn and struggle to become what he says we are. And how do we struggle? We let him change us. <laughs> it's not even a struggle at that. We go, God, I, I want you to crucify my flesh. My flesh wants to go against you, God. I want you to crucify it, and you fill me. And then he pours out of us. You want to learn to love people? Let God love them through you. You want to be forgiving? Let God forgive people through you. Whatever it is you want to do, let God do it in your life. Because it's not by works of righteousness. And as he changes us, we start becoming more and more like him. And you know what? After many years, decades, <laughs> you start becoming more like God and it starts becoming easier. Each area that he changes in your life becomes easier. The unfortunate thing is, as you get easier on one area, he shows you another area that you have to, to work on. <laughs> and you go back to square one in that area and start working, letting him change you. But with each successive thing that he changes, it becomes a little easier to walk like him, to think like he does. How do we do this? In Romans 12, 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds through the word. God's word is the most powerful weapon at your disposal to change the way you think, act, and, and think. Because his word gets into our brain and changes who we are. And it's his word. When God says something, he means it. Many times we sit there and go, well, God, I'm just not sure I can agree with what you say there, but it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> it's still true. It doesn't matter whether I believe it when, it comes, when I read it. It's true. And J. Vernon McGee said that whatever he and God disagree, you know, where he had a disagreement with the word, the word was right. And he had to change the way he thought. I believe the same thing. If I'm reading the word and I'm going, well, this doesn't make sense or I don't understand it, it's like, good, I need you to under help me understand it and help me understand that it's true. Because it's true. It is true. We see so many things and that we need to be able to understand when God says something, it's true. In the late 1800s, when evolution started coming out, the church, church struggled to try to figure out how evolution could be true and the Bible be true. And they came up with some very weird ideas. Instead of just saying God is true and eventually it'll be proved, <laughs> they tried to mix the two. Don't ever do that. When, you, when God says something and you know that's what he says, accept what he says. Because now we know the Bible is true. <laughs> this world is a young world. This world, evolution is full, full of so many holes in it that it doesn't even stand, can't even hold a bit of water. So we, we know that it's not true and we and can show that it's not true. 
It's not even scientific. So when you talk to people about evolution, we're talking philosophy, you're not talking about science. So don't even let them try to pin it into the scientific world. It's not something that can be observed and repeated. You can't go back to the beginning and observe it. Only one that can do that is the one that was there when it started and he started it and that's God. So he's the only one that can tell you what happened by observation. And so we want to be able to say the fellowship in the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus died for our sins. Well, number one, we are sinners. <laughs> Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and resurrected on the third day. Why? So that our sins would be paid for by his death, buried with him in burial, and we will live with him in the resurrection of the new life. That's the gospel message. Doesn't matter what I do, all I do is accept what he did. He paid a debt that we couldn't know, that, that we couldn't pay. We, we owed the debt. <laughs> get, the, get the right words here. He paid a debt that we could not pay. And that's what our verse, first verse that we talked about is, for the wages of sin, uh, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and then the one we're working on now, the wages of sin is death. When we sin, we earn something. And God is going to pay our earnings to us if we don't accept Jesus Christ and, and Jesus took that penalty and he gives us a gift. But that's how simple it is to become a Christian. Believe this truth. And when we talk about believe, it's not, okay, I, I believe that, that, that Jesus lived. Well, that's all fine and dandy. I believe that lots of people lived in the, in the history, history. But that's not helping me do anything because I'm not going to put my trust and faith in them. The belief in this is to put my whole trust in God and what he says. It's the idea of, will you sit down in the, in the chair? I believe this chair will hold me up. I think it will hold me up. But I'm really not believing it until I sit down in the chair. Now, I say that and I've told you all, there's certain chairs I won't sit in because I don't, I'm too big to sit in, many, in a lot of those chairs. I, I have no faith that they're going to hold me up. <laughs> But in this case, we know that God is true. And we put our whole trust and faith in, in Christ. That means we surrender everything we are to him as our Lord, our Lord, our master. He says do and we do. <laughs> and, you know, it's amazing when we go through the scriptures, there's a lot of commandments in the New Testament that God says do these things. Now, unfortunately, they don't look like commandments in English. <laughs> But they are imperatives, which are commands. He says, pray without ceasing. He expects us to pray. In everything, give thanks. Okay, that's a command. And you'll note, it, it doesn't say in most things give thanks. It doesn't say in some things give thanks. It says in everything give thanks. This is important for us. No matter what happens to us, if it seems bad, we give thanks for it because God's got a reason for it. What that reason is, he might show us in this world. He may not show us in this world. But there is some reason for everything we've gone through. And that's the one thing I've learned over 44 years of walking with him, that everything does work out for good somehow, some way. <laughs> Sometimes you don't understand it. And I've shared with people, oh, I had a point where six months I was on crutches because of my gout. You know, nothing good about being in that much pain, not being able to sleep. 
And I'm going, God, I don't understand this. And I'll, I'm the first one to tell you, I'll, I'll tell God, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but you've, pr you've promised that it's for good. I'm going to believe that it's for good. About a year later, somebody came up to me and told me that they had been blessed and encouraged by how much I was serving God even though I was in pain and challenged them to work, serve God beyond through their pain. We never know who's watching us as we serve God and, we, and we're thankful. We never know what's happening when we just thank God for all that he's done with us and talk about his blessings. You know, it's a really good thing. I love to hear people tell me what God has done for them, how he's answered their prayers, how he, how he provided for them, how God is personally ministering to them because it's encouraging. It's, in, it's an encouragement to know that there's people out there that God is still helping. And I don't need a whole lot of it, but I, it's still nice to hear. We need to share with one another what God is doing in our life. We need to share with each other as we're reading through the Bible during the week and God says, this is something really special I want you to get. Do you share those with people? Do you go to people and say, you know, this is what I read in my Bible this week and this is what God showed me. You never know. You might just be the, the one that can teach somebody how to get through something in their life in the next day or two or week in their life just by sharing something God has shown to you. It's a lot of fun to do that. I get to do it all the time because I'm a teacher. <laughs> but, you know, I've always done that in, even before that. Yeah, look at this. This is wonderful. Look what God showed me. You need to be able to do that because I'm hoping that as you're reading through the Bible that God is showing you things each time you open the Bible and learning things. And you'll never know. Some of the greatest little lessons I've gotten are from people that are brand new Christians and get so excited about what they read and they share with you and tell you what God showed them. Because who's the one that really tells us anything about the Bible anyway is the Holy Spirit. Every single person that is a born-again believer of Christ has the Holy Spirit in them, and the Holy Spirit will interpret the words that he wrote. Okay? He gave, the, he gave these words. He knows exactly what they mean and exactly knows how to apply them. And if you just talk to God and say, God, I want to see something today. Show me something that, that you want me to see. You'll be surprised what the Holy Spirit will teach you. I've shared with you as a teenager, there were many times because I went to lots of different churches when I was growing up. And I'd hear different churches say that a verse meant something and another church would say it meant something totally different. So I would have to go to God and say, God, what is the meaning of these verses? <coughs> the Holy Spirit told me the meaning of those verses. Then when I went to Bible college, I got to know how to prove what the Holy Spirit had already told me. And that's the really great thing is when you get shown something and you talk to somebody who knows how to get into the Greek or Hebrew and, and tear a verse apart, you'll find out if you really listen to the Holy Spirit, you already have the right answer. So encouraging you, share what you're working with on what God is sharing with you. Share what God, how God is blessing you. Encourage others. And if you start sharing, others will share with you what God's doing in their life and it'll encourage you even more. It is wonderful to watch what God is doing in other people's lives. And again, mark down what he's doing in your life. And then it says in verse 6, Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident. Being persuaded. 
absolutely persuaded? Are you absolutely persuaded that God's word is true? I am. I have never found in all the years of my study anything wrong with the Bible. Nothing. No contradictions, no, no scientific incorrect, incorrect statements, no archaeology uh, incorrect statements, nothing. The two or three things that people will point to are very easily and logically explained. And I know, what, I know, the, I know the three to five things that people are going to say when they point out contradictions, and I know, how, I know how to explain it to them logically that they're not contradictions. There's no problems that I have found in the scriptures. I know that it's true. So when God says something, it's, yes, God, I don't know how I'm going to implement it. I don't understand it at all, but you're true. He'll show you how to implement it. He'll show you how to follow it. And this is what Paul says. I am confident of this thing. What is the thing he's coming? That he who began a good work in you will complete it. When we become a Christian, a work is started in our body. In Corinthians, we're told that we are a new creation. A brand new, never before seen creation. The flesh is gone and we are a spiritual being again. Uh, we were spiritual beings way back with Adam and Eve. They sinned and the spirit side of the, our bodies was destroyed. We are born as sinners. Don't ever let anybody tell you that we become bad. I mean, anybody who's ever had a child in their life knows that you, you all took your children and you taught them to be bad. I know every one of us did that, right? You know, it didn't take long for our children to tell us that they were bad. <laughs> we are born with a sin nature. We are born demanding to be attended to. As we grow, we can put some of those demands into control sometimes. But it takes Jesus Christ coming into our life and changing who we are. Giving us the power through the Holy Spirit to be able to walk in his life. Without him, we can do nothing. And we need to really fully believe that. Without Christ, I can do nothing that is going to please God at all. With him, all things are possible. Most of us don't believe that, though. We live like we don't believe that all things are possible through Christ. How many times have you been in a bad situation and your prayer is kind of like, God, maybe if you possibly would <laughs> give me this, I'd be happy. Now, I'm not saying we go and demand of God the different things, but you know, our prayer should be a little more... God, I'm your child and I need this in my life right now. I need the strength to get through this area of my life. And you know what? He's going to do it. He's going to do it. This is one of those areas where reading biographies can be a great benefit to you. You watch how these Christian leaders learned to follow God. Learned to trust in God. You talk to other mature Christians and you find out how they learned to grow in Christ. We do not all of a sudden instantly start walking as adults in, in Christ. We start out as babies, infants, learning to trust God. And over time, he grows us. And over time, more things happen that allow us to serve him in a greater and greater capacity.
And he grows us to a place where all of a sudden when he asks us to do the miraculous things that we get the credit for doing, it was, it's just another small step in our life. You know, we look at somebody like Billy Graham who preaches to millions of people before he retired. <laughs> he started out with very small congregations to go preach to. We look at a George Mueller. I reread his biography this last week. Starts out as somebody who doesn't even believe in God. Gets saved, believes in God. His father disinherits him. He goes back to school and says, God, I need money. And he never thought about praying to God for money for school until he needed the money. And no, long, no more than an hour and a half later, he's, he's got a job making a ridiculous amount of money to pay for school. And he learns over time to pray. And he's known for running orphanages in, in England in the 1800s, ministering to thousands of kids, ran orphanages. And he never had the money to run the orphanages. He was always praying for the, for the stuff for the, for the kids and the bills and the, and the rental of the buildings and the school and the, and the salaries for the people. And God always provided for that. Besides the schools, he ran, uh, before the orphanage, he ran schools. <laughs> To educate these kids and he gave, gave the education of the kids free he didn't charge them for it and then he ministered to missionary foreign missionaries where he gave lots and lots of money to foreign missions all through prayer he learned how to trust God now did God expect him to start running orphanages in a school right off the bat no he learned to get to that point we do the same thing we might say, well, God, I'll never be able to do that. And you're right. We probably wouldn't be able to do it in our own strength. But when God takes us through the 20 steps to get there, it won't seem like such a big deal when we finally get there. To be able to say, God, I trust you for everything. How do we get to the place where we can trust him for everything? We trusted him in a lot of little things and saw that he was faithful. Over and over and over again, we see that he's faithful. How do I learn to, to be trusting him in prayer? I get several answers in prayer over and over and over again he answers my prayers we watch how he works and then we learn faith how do we get faith we get into his word faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god we get into his word and he builds our faith he's done it in the past he will do it in the future and he is doing it now god is the same yesterday today and forever when we read the old testament we see a God of grace and love in the Old Testament. And I know you've always heard people go, well, we see an angry God who's always, always, you know, hurting people. Well, he was showing his holiness and righteousness, but we also see Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Abraham was called by grace to leave the Ur of Chaldees. Moses interceded for the people and God gave grace to them several times as God was ready to destroy the people of Israel for their disobedience. We see his grace being shown all through the book of Joshua where they would disobey and God would send, send somebody in to rule over them. They would repent and God would bring them back as a nation. Over and over, the, the book of Jonah is a wonderful picture of grace. Jonah's running the opposite way and God gives him grace, sends him back to where he's supposed to go. We see God's grace all through the Old Testament. He's a God of love and grace even in the Old Testament. We also see God's judgment in the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira trying to lie to the church that they had given away, sold the property and given all the money to God. Ananias comes in first and Peter goes, did, did you sell the land for this much and did you give it all? Oh yes, falls dead. Okay. 
How about if God worked that way in our churches today? <laughs> Lie to God and make yourself look better to the church and all of a sudden be dead? His wife followed him and said, yes, we just saw that, and she died. God is still righteous, holy God who is not going to allow sin to stand in his presence. If you want to stand in God's presence as a sinner, the saved, look out. You're going to have trials because God's not going to let his children get away with that. He will, ins he will institute discipline in your life. And a good way to get discipline is to be living in sin as his child. Because discipline is to bring us back. And he's going to be gracious when you come back, but he's going to institute discipline to bring you back. And Paul is saying, he will complete the work. He started a work. God declared us perfect in heaven. All through our lifetime, he's going to sanctify us. He's going to take out the sin out of our life. As slow or as fast as you want it to be. <laughs> Depending on how much you want to fight him. If you want to fight him at every step of the way, you can go really slow in getting your life changed until you're dying or glorified. When we stand before God after our death, if we're a Christian, we will be glorified. We will be who he says we are. In the meantime, you can make it as slow as you want, or you can learn to just surrender and learn to get it done quicker. And as we mature, as we get used to it, hopefully it gets quicker. Hopefully you've been beat over the head enough by the two-by-four that you finally realize it's a little easier to not get beat over the head. Same thing with our children when we raise them. When we first discipline them, you have to seem to like you're always disciplining them, especially when they're young. If you do your job right when they're young, it's not as hard when they're older because they're used to being a little more compliant. Unless you have a strong-willed children child, and then they're hard the rest of their life. But we don't want to be those strong-willed children for God. We want to be the compliant one that says, God, just, I want to change. Help me to change. And Paul is saying, I am absolutely confident that the one who starts the work is going to finish it. He's not going to leave you. If you are his child, he's not going to leave you without growing you. Now, you may fight it. You may argue with it. You may have to go over the lesson a thousand times, but God is going to keep giving you the lesson until you pass it. And he'll keep doing it and keep doing it. It's not like our, our education system where you flunk the test, oh, well, we're going to the next, next part anyway. God says, you get to stay and learn this lesson. And we'll keep doing it and keep doing it. And he'll give it to you in a different way each time so that it's not totally obvious, but it's the same issue. And he's going to say, you're to change. You are to grow. And we need to be able to comply to him to be good children and obedient children to the Father. And then as we grow, we become examples to others. And then our job is to disciple other people. Go to other people and help teach them. Starts with our own children, our own, our own, our own family, but it can be expanded beyond that. Who all are we trying to reach and grow with? How are we going to be able to draw people to Christ? Because it's the most important thing is to draw them to Christ. Because once he gets hold of them, he can change their life. Too many of us as Christians, when we witness to people, are trying to say, well, you start getting good and then we can witness to you. And that's not the way we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to witness to them and let God get hold of their life and change them. Because they can't change on their own. They're not going to change without knowing Christ. 
Once you know Christ, you're going to be easily changed because he works from the inside. Otherwise, you're just trying to discipline your flesh, and it doesn't stay disciplined forever. And anybody who's tried to discipline their own flesh knows how you start thinking you're doing really good, and the next thing you know, you're flat on your face doing doing what you thought you were all over with. It has to be crucified. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He He crucifies the flesh. He kills the flesh. He lives out through us. And that's what he expects. That's how change happens. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the one who's going to complete the work, that you are the one that loves us enough to do that, and that you care for us. And you sent your son to die for us. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this message here or on the Internet that doesn't know you, that you will grab hold of their heart, convince them that they are a sinner, and that you have the gift of eternal life and a a new life for them. And that all they have to do is confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please come into my life and save me. And we thank you for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen.